Thanks for tuning into Horror Origins, the podcast that investigates the firsts in horror literature. My name is Matthew Tansik, and for the next ten minutes or so, we're going to be taking a look at the first supernatural Christmas tale ever to warn against the dangers of scientific overreach. That's a bit of an overreach, I know, but hey, it's a Christmas special. What do you want from me? Let's get going. So, the tale in this episode is Dickens' The Haunted Man and the Ghost's Bargain. The tale was first read in 1848, but if you want to read it today, I'll have several links to various versions in the public domain in the show's notes, so look for those. We're all familiar with Dickens' classic Christmas story, A Christmas Carol. Its characters are iconic, and it's no doubt one of the most remembered pieces of the man's career. But what you may not be aware of is the fact that Dickens wrote several supernaturally inspired Christmas stories, five of them, in fact. A Christmas Carol in 1843, and then between um, 1867, between then and 1867, he barely missed a season without writing some story or essay based on the topic. Officially, like I said, there are five Christmas books, the first being The Timeless of Christmas Carol. Unlike most of Dickens' books, these were not published and ser- published serially, but released as full novellas near the beginning of the Christmas season. After these books, he continued to publish Christmas stories and essays each year in his literary journals, Household Worlds, and All the Year Round. Eight Christmas editions of Household Worlds were published between 1851 and 1858, and nine Christmas editions of All the Year, All the Year Round were published between 1859 and 1867. Like other tales in this vein, the story is set on Christmas Eve and is narrated by a chemist named Redlaw. He's a man who loves, um, who, he lives a forgotten, lonely life away from the bustle and the rest of the world. Although he is held in high regard by his students and is generally thought of as a good-hearted and intelligent man, Redlaw often retreats from the world to dwell on the assortment of misfortunes and calamities that have befallen him throughout his life. He wishes, in this lonely hour, on, on the eve of Christmas, to be rid of all the sad things that have come to him. And in true Dickensian Christmas tale fashion, his wishes are answered. A strange ghost-like entity appears, bearing a likeness to himself, in physical appearance anyway, but is loathsome in character. And that introduction I'll quote here, uh, just because I think it's it's really fun. As the gloom and shadow thickened behind him, in that place where it had been gathering so darkly, it took by slow degrees, or out of it there came by some unreal, unsubstantial process, not to be traced by any human sense, an awful likeness of himself. Ghastly and cold, colorless in its laden face and hands, but with his features, and his bright eyes, and his grizzled hair, and dressed in the gloomy shadow of his dress, it came into his terrible appearance of existence motionless, without a sound. As he leaned his arm upon the elbow of his chair, ruminating before the fire, it leaned upon the chair back close above him, with its appalling copy of his face looking where his face looked, and bearing the expression his face bore. This, then, was the something that had passed and gone already. This was the dread companion of the haunted man. It took for some moments no more apparent heed of him than he of it. The Christmas waits were playing somewhere in the distance, and, through his thoughtfulness, he seemed to listen to the music. It seemed to listen, too. At length he spoke. 
without moving or lifting up his face. Here again, he said. Here again, replied the phantom. I see you in the fire, said the haunted man. I hear you in the music, in the wind, in the dead stillness of the night. The phantom moved as its head assentingly. Why do you come to haunt me thus? I come as I am called, replied the ghost. No, unbidden, claimed the chemist. Unbidden be it, said the spectre. It is enough, and I am here. Now, as an aside, if you like to classify supernatural entities in fiction like I do, I would put a wager on this being a fetch or a doppelganger. Fetch being the Irish variant, and doppelganger being the German, doppelganger literally meaning double-goer. It's a look-alike or double of a living person, sometimes portrayed as a ghostly or paranormal phenomenon, and usually seen as a harbinger of bad luck. And as we read further in this story, you'll see that is indeed the case with Redlaw. Redlaw's mood shifts once the ghost's bargain is struck, and all the painful memories and calamities that have happened to him in his life are removed from his mind. And his now unbridled rage and disgust at the world starts to spread at those around him. Dickens' whimsical and instantly satisfying set of characters get the corruption put upon them by Redlaw in sort of a Midas touch kind of a way. In most cases, it's the rage that spreads. But in the case of old Mr. Swidger, who gets joy out of remembering days gone by, without those memories, he becomes a doddering, senile fool. And only Millie, whose character uses her own suffering, namely the death of her child, to remind her to do good, is the only one seemingly able to cut through the bile that Redlaw begins to spread. Dickens, through this story, shows us that although the state of poverty is a terrible one, if you are cruel and an evil person without suffering to temper your heart, that it can be so much worse. Many have remarked that this particular story comes a bit closer to being religious in tone, or at least religious in moral, depicting a character who learns that there is salvation in suffering and that you can not forgive wrongness, um, and ha that if you cannot forgive wrongness, that you will not have a happy life. Perhaps it shows the positive side of suffering, that it's not always the best course of action to remove a bad feeling through medication. The story continues in this fashion until, after Millie presents to him the moral of the story, that he is able to see, see the harm that he is causing. Redlaw recants his desire to remove his painful memories and the effect that he's had on all, all those around him, and he learns that it is through these painful memories that he has become a tolerant and humble man, a better man. Now, The Haunted Man has had not much of a legacy since its creation. The story has been adapted to the theater a couple of times, but by and large the story has faded from people's minds and exists now as sort of a hidden gem in Dickens' work. It's occasionally polished and presented as I am doing here, but no more. The concept of the supernatural Christmas tale, however, is not one that went out of style and is very much alive and well. Each year there are brand new anthologies of ghostly Christmas tales published that carry on in very much the same spirit of old Mr. Dickens. 
So with this story in mind, and uh, as we march toward Christmas and the holiday season, let's try and appreciate our experiences a bit more, whatever they are, and try to see how they have made us better people for it. If you enjoy this podcast and learning about the strange works of fiction that have brought us to where we are today, I implore you to write a review for the show. It'll help more people find out about it, and the more people we can get interested in this stuff, I think the better. And if you appreciate podcasts that are advertisement-free and want to say thanks, feel free to tweet me at TANS444, that's T-A-N-Z-444, or click on the contact button on MatthewTansic.com. Likewise, if you have a recommendation for the show or have uh, a piece of your mind you want to share with me, go for it. I'd love to hear from you. Until next time, thanks for joining me.